everybody. Uh, welcome to a brand new series of podcast episodes for Berlin Belly. I'm so happy to be back after we had a break of a few months. Um, my very first guest of the new season is Kathy Kaczmajic from Levin, Berlin. Now, Levin means sourdough and Kathy is from the States, but now based in Berlin and she teaches a range of fermentation workshops. Uh, sourdough is a way of fermenting bread, of course. Um, some of the other workshops include kimchi, sauerkraut and, uh, of course, uh, oh yeah, cultured butter. Um, Kathy is going to talk us through the wild and wonderful world of fermenting in this episode. Uh, why sourdough bread is better for you. She'll also tell us about the influence of her Polish roots on her fermentation style these days and a bit about what to expect at the workshops. You can buy tickets for uh, Levant Berlin workshops via the Facebook page. Um, click into the event section and each event has a ticket link. So look up Levant Berlin, which is spelled L-E-V-A-I-N Berlin, B-E-R-L-I-N. Uh, facebook.com forward slash Levan Berlin. Thank you very much for listening, uh, for downloading or subscribing. Um, thank you to Flux FM, where we record the Berlin Belly podcast. And uh, let's get to the first episode of the second season of the Berlin Belly podcast with Kathy Kaczmajic. Okay, welcome to the Berlin Belly Podcast, Kathy Kaczmajic. <laughs> Did I get it right? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, so, Kathy, you're from Levain, Berlin, Leva. 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 Um, tell us uh, what you do at Leva. Um, so, I run fermentation workshops, and on top of running fermentation workshops, I'm sort of even like working with places to sort of instill more kind of fermented processes or for people to start learning how to do things on their own, like making their own sour cream or yogurt or sauerkraut, fermented drinks like kombucha, water kefir, um, sort of like everything fermented. So did you just invent the role of a fermentation consultant? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, people, I guess people do it. They're in the States because um, I'm, I'm from, the, I was mm -hmm. born in the States. There's people doing it, like there's one girl, her name is like Tara Whitsitt from Fermentation on Wheels, and she's sort of, she has a school bus that she transformed into like a fermentation sort of station That's thing. really cool. And she drives around different farms and just gives workshops, and there's other people who do it too. It's sort of like growing there, and then, um, yeah, like I... <laughs> So people call me like Chatty Kathy and I can't like, <laughs> and I love it so much that I can't stop talking about it. And I really love the aspect of like, well, people question it and they want to learn. So it just kind of grew into what it is. It's just bubbling up in you. Yeah. You <laughs> so many puns and oh, wordplay with <laughs> fermentation possible. So um, maybe you can tell us a bit about um, when you came to Berlin and what you were doing before actually that kind of led up to this point. Um, so I, before moving to Berlin, I was going to school in Baltimore. I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art, also known as MICA. So I was a painting major. Uh -huh. I did not study anything with Fermented paint. <laughs> no. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and, but I'm Polish. So I've been eating, like, my mom was like the stay at home kind of house Polish, Polish house mom. Mm -hmm. Like I'm first generation Polish. Um, so I grew up in, like, a very Polish household. Like, 
fresh cooked meals like every day. A lot of it was fermented. Um, and so I got, I don't know, I was so used to that. And then like in, I guess, high school, like getting into health, but that whole like become a vegetarian, become a vegan. So I started. Which is probably hard with Polish food. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause... No, my parents thought like the second I stopped eating meat, they were just like, you're going to starve. <laughs> They're just like, you're never going to make it. Oh. And it was like my entire like kind of family. Because it, yeah. it's just such a norm. Like my parents yeah. are a much, much older generation mm. than I am. Um, so they just like couldn't understand it. And I thought Polish food wasn't healthy because I was just like starting to learn about like eating healthy and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so then it's like went through like all the vegetarian, vegan. I was a raw vegan. And it wasn't until in college I started urban farming and I did that for two years at a, at two farms. One was called Whitelock Community Farm in Baltimore, and another one was called Two Boots Farm. And so I started to learn like learn about produce, and that was kind of why I also became like a vegetarian and a vegan. Because I was like, well, I, I one, it's like the whole organic movement starting. So I'm like, well, I want to learn to eat organic, and I feel like the best way and also the most affordable way is to sort of just pare it down to produce and start there. And then I always wanted to farm, and my mom liked to garden a lot, so it kind of like led me into farming in Baltimore yep. um, and there's a huge urban farming scene there so it's really easy and it's really accessible people might not like connect farming with Baltimore really but there is yeah there is a lot of projects yeah there's because like in the states you have loads of food deserts and so Whitelock Community Farm is in this farm uh, called Reservoir Hill where like you don't really have too many supermarkets around or people are just not used to super fresh organic produce let alone like Fresh produce never going to, like, like the chance of it being mm, organic. So yeah. it's like, everyone should be able to access it. It, it shouldn't, shouldn't be, just, yeah. It shouldn't just be like, oh, like, if you're middle class or upper class, like, food should be food for everyone, and everyone should yep. have access to good food. And that's sort of what Whitelock did, which is really amazing. And then working with elementary schools in the neighborhood, having monthly potlucks, so sort of always talking about food and kind of making it a thing. Um, so community, kind of bringing the community together. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I would bake bread, like, I, out of all the ferments, I really love bread, mm -hmm. sourdough bread. So I would always bring, like, a loaf of bread to the potlucks and then try and, like, ferment different things. And so, and that's how fermentation started. It started through farming. It's because we didn't have refrigeration mm -hmm. um, for, like, every culture out there besides America. Like, fermentation is sort of instilled in every culture somehow because people had to preserve their food somehow. And little yeah. did they know that... There was all the good bacteria getting into it. Like, yeah. they did it as a means of, like, trial and error. Like, you try this, you eat it, and it makes you feel good. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like, I survived. Like, yeah, I didn't die. Yeah. And um, and then through, like, farming, and I was reading Michael Pollan books. Um, after reading Cooked, mm -hmm. the last thing he talks about in his fermentation section is sort of everyone should go back to their food cultures and explore it again. And so I went back to my Polish food culture, like, did, like, a huge roundabout. And I was like wow, it's actually a lot better than, like, me trying to do all these other things. Right. Um, and then from there, I just started, like, super focusing on it. And then I have two other friends in Baltimore, named, like, Megan Carpenter and Shane Carpenter, who run Hex Ferments, and they sort of led me to, like, explore it a lot more and, mm -hmm. like, really introduced me to Sander Katz, and they've been to his residency. Okay. Um, right. I've heard of Sander Katz. <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe you can explain uh, who he is. He's a... So he's sort of like the fermentation guru, I guess. <laughs> I, guess I don't know what the word. Yeah. Um, but he wrote this book called, well, he wrote two books. One is called Wild Fermentation, which then kind of 
became like included in the art of fermentation which is this like super large massive book about everything fermented and it's mm. just a really kind of genuine outlook on like every culture all different fermenting styles and it's nice because there aren't a lot of recipes in it it's just sort of talking about it so because I feel like that's important about fermentation is that you have to just become comfortable with it because that's how it grew to be a thing it mm. became like a comfort with your food yeah and then you arrived in Berlin oh yeah <laughs> Right. Seriously, I told you it was chatty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's great for a podcast. Perfect guest. Um, but yeah, I came to Berlin and I started... Um, When did you arrive? Um, last, last February. So it's been okay. about a year and a half mm -hmm. now. I started um, as doing an internship at Infarm, which is an indoor hydroponics urban farm. And then I left and then... But while I was there, I was kind of like... Fermentation couldn't leave me after doing it so much, mm. and I was just kind of fermenting there on top of like taking care of like the hydroponics room. I was fermenting, and then I was also baking bread. And then after that, I sort of left and started a bread club. Um, so I'd have a, I don't know like twenty to thirty people sign up every month, and just every week you would just get a loaf of sourdough bread. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I did that for a few months, and then yeah, and then I had, I don't know things like here and there, and then I was just like. People have always asked about the workshops or asked me to come talk. So I was like, I'm just going to start the workshops. <laughs> awesome. Um, and coming up in August, you have a bunch of workshops. Yes. Um, which I'm going to read the list. It sounds amazing. So we've got cultured butter, kimchi, sauerkraut, sourdough, and also grains, which is an intro, intro to sourdough and beer. What's the connection between sourdough and beer? Um, so that workshop, the connection is really just the grains. So I kind of want to start, I feel like out of everything, like, oh, there's becoming importance on like fetch, like local produce and all this stuff. But, um, because maybe because I just like love bread so much, like flour is a huge thing. Like no one ever considers flour. No one ever considers grains, but, um, it should be considered. It's almost as important. And actually when it comes to organic farming, grains are a super important aspect of like a cover crop, like letting your soil rest and it's better for all your vegetables. Um, and just like, it's another added thing to like all the things that are sourced badly and done badly and, um, just giving an importance to grains and then like how we have like a massive craft beer movement in Berlin. Like people are sourcing local grains for that for a specific reason. And then If you want, like, good bread, it's also, like, knowing about your grains. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, like, how grains, like, sourcing them locally, how they come about farming, and then, like, how they split into, like, what's the difference between using them for bread and beer. So the But, same grains can be used for both? Um, or Kind of. It depends, like, how they're um, farmed and, like, okay. germination. Because mm -hmm. then grains for beer get malted. Mm -hmm. And because that's, like, a very chemical process, like, you have to, the grains have to be, like, harvested at such like specific times mm. and bread flour has a little bit more leniency but then every grain is different with like proteins and starches and what kind of breads you can make with it and this and that and the whole yeah it just becomes like such it's a, actually such a big thing that there's a lot to it yep and then um with beer it's also nice to like oh like i'm in germany and i get to talk about like the reinheitsgebot <laughs> yeah. uh, and then talk about like how like a lot of that came through just wanting like a really good product, like really good beer. So the Reinheitsgebot is like this uh, really old 
kind of laws around how beer can be made in Germany yeah. and it has to follow this, which I think some of the craft beer new guys are not following the Reinheitsgebot yeah. exactly. Or that's why it's called, like, you have to call it craft beer. You right. can't just call it beer in okay. Germany. Yeah. And it's, like, one of the last, like, oldest standing purity laws yeah. around. So yeah. it's kind of crazy, but it's really great because it's sort of kept, like, the product to be handled and kind of cherished well. Yes. And... uh Going back to flour, I mean, what people can buy in the supermarket, I've I've read that that's almost like rancid flour. It's just been sitting in a warehouse for a very long time, sitting on the shelf, uh, sitting in the supermarket. And I saw one of your recent updates was offering um, to connect people if they wanted to order locally milled flour. Um, that's something that, so you order locally milled flour. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. So you're getting like really fresh flour that's just been milled uh, somewhere local in Berlin. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So I'm um, just going to supermarkets and just realizing like, even if you go to a bio company or LFG, not actually finding really good flour because, yeah, there's there's the rancid aspect or there's the aspect that a lot is removed so it could stay on the shelf for a long time. Right. Um, and then it's like, well, you could support people locally with flour, too. So just through researching or like talking to people and seeing if I could get local contacts and I just like try it out try out their flower and then um realizing like oh well if I just like get a group of people we can make the shipping cheaper or maybe just having like once a month deliveries where everyone just gets together and we do one big order so I just did the first one it was like yeah I got like a group of people and so we just ordered all the flour we needed and then it made the shipping so cheap I mean yeah. it's like three euros each yeah um and then it's like well it's almost the same price as buying the flour you'll buy in the supermarket but it's coming from a super good source Uh, unfortunately this one i don't think is like milled like to order but it's still freshly like stone milled and that's already like a huge difference yep and so sourdough bread is kind of a trendy thing at the moment everyone is going for their avocado toast on sourdough bread (laughs) But maybe people don't realize what the difference is uh, with sourdough bread compared to other loaves. Maybe you can explain how it's made and what, uh, yeah, where it all begins. Um, Wow. Well, uh, (laughs) I guess like with bread, there was just like an art that was lost with it because, um, I mean, like industrialized society and then you have commercial yeast and commercial yeast rises so much faster. It's so much easier to work with. And that just sort of became a thing. Um, and I'm not sure of the year, but there's a book by Raymond Covell called The Taste of Bread, and it's sort of, he brought back this, like, art of the French bread. Oh, wow. And the French bread is sort of, like, where this all started. I mean, you have, like, Italian, you have loads of different breads, but the kind that I kind of like to focus on would, I guess, be, like, more of, like, French bread. Um, and, yeah, he just brought back, like, all these processes that are going to give you, like, um... It's, it's a lot that I can talk about. Uh, just like these beautiful loaves are ones that are actually fermented properly too because then you started, like you ha- like through like industrialization, you're having bread that's being made so fast and just with commercial yeast. There is like lactic acid bacteria. There's acetic acid. There's so much in a sourdough starter that when you put it into flour, um, there's enzymes and there's yeast and there's so many things and it's all breaking down together. And that's also good for your gut because our guts actually can't really break down grains. Like that's why our ancestors learned to soak them because there are enzymes that need to be broken down through soaking and soaking is just like beginning for sprouting. So it's like beginning 
uh-huh. step. And so okay. like we need that with like nuts and seeds as well. Like yep. there's certain things we can eat, but mm. we sort of need help with it for mm-hmm. our guts. And then that's what the sourdough starter does for the flour because there's the enzymes in flour just because it gets milled don't go away. They're still there. And so all the bacteria there is sort of working together okay. to break it all down. And then if you ferment it properly for the right amount of time, and then when you eat it, you're actually getting all the beneficial parts of grains. And so it's kind of like alive, like the bread is alive. Yeah, well, it kind of dies because you're, you're baking After it you at bake like 250 yeah. degrees. Yeah. But there are, there are articles that are coming out where it's like, oh, because sourdough bread can last up to a week. Mm. And how does sourdough bread keep getting sour after a week? So it's like, well, isn't all the bacteria dead? But maybe you're creating this new bed that is like the perfect bed for like the bacteria to come back. And it's attracted to it and it okay. kind of keeps making it sour. Yeah. Um, and then also if you're making bread with good flour, like a lot of things people don't realize. So if you're using like freshly milled flour, um, there's the, like the endosperm and the germ and the, um, the bran, like a lot of it is not like the germ, for instance, is a really big thing that's removed from, um, companies like, like big commercial brand, even if it's organic, um, the germ is removed because it holds oils because the germ is like oh. the yolk of an egg for like this um, for the grain. Okay. So it's like it's the part that germinates. Yeah. So that holds like a few vitamins. It holds your fatty acids and it holds a lot of oil. So that's the part that's going to go rancid. But so that usually gets removed. So it's okay. like companies will instantly remove vitamins and fatty acids that we need from grains. Mm. And then the same thing with bran. Like bran is basically fiber. And we need fiber in our diets, but that will get removed too. So there's a lot of things that get stripped out. But if you're then making this kind of bread, that's like all these enzymes that our guts can't sort of break down are already being broken down from the sourdough starter and the bacteria. And then you're using good flour that then has the bran and it has the germ. Um, And the endosperm always exists because it's like that's basically the most part of like what makes up flour. Mm. then you're actually getting tons of vitamins and minerals you could get from grains. and So it's, it's a whole other thing to the kind of supermarket loaf that you buy. Yeah. It's a really different animal. Yeah. Um, maybe for people that don't really know, without giving away your whole um, sourdough workshop, but maybe explain what a starter is and kind of the length of time that goes into it. Because it it's, it's days. It's not, you know, where you might leave... Uh, um, when you get the the fast acting yeast and you leave it to rise for an hour, yeah. it's not totally not the same with yeah. um, sourdough. I'd like to start a sourdough starter. You kind of just do like you could do a little blend of like some Weizenmehl and some Weizenmehl Volkorn, some some whole wheat flour, um, and whole wheat flour is just gonna hold like more of the bran um, and a little bit like more sugars and stuff. And bacteria just love sugar. <laughs> uh, and but there's naturally yeast, like there's yeast on everything. So, so you're, you're kind of harnessing. Y- Wild yeast in the air, basically. Yeah. You yeah. buy just, like, you do that, and then you mix it with water, and you sort of cover it with a towel, and you leave it, and naturally, like, these good bacteria and yeast are just attracted to this, and they get inside, and then you notice after, like, four or five days, it's bubbling. Um, and then to feed it, uh, feeding is just taking a little bit of your old starter, putting it with fresh flour and fresh water, so it's, like, a whole new array of like sugars, bacteria, or sugars and yeast that this bacteria is going to eat, and then that's all it takes, and it be- becomes a consistent feeding every day. Or it's there like are ways a- to sort of mold it to like your schedule. Like if you're baking every day, um, you're going to feed it like every day or twice a day. 
um depending also like how obsessed with the bread you are and like because it becomes like a whole it's like a thing. pet it's yeah, like you it's, know you have to look after it every ferment is like a pet i feel like i have like 15 children living in my apartment like every time i wake up i'm like, gonna feed my sourdough starter gonna push down my sauerkraut gonna do this and it's just like yeah but it definitely is something you have to take care of but you yeah. can take breaks from it and then it's like learning right. how to take breaks from it yeah and Stuff like that. And so many people always think like, oh, I've killed it. Oh, I've this. I was like, it's actually really hard to kill these yeah. things. So you, you just don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like the workshop is, I mean, I guess everything I've been talking about, um, it's like a super intro thing to like, just like talking about the the makeup of a grain, like the endosperm germ yeah. and brand part, and then teaching how to feed a starter. And everyone goes home with um a little bit of a sourdough starter of mine yeah but i also like teach like how or like exactly how to start, your own. How to start your own because i feel like it's like i don't know it becomes your own little like baby in it and it's like oh it's the yeast and bacteria that's on your hands it's the yeast and bacteria that's around you and that's also super important with ferments because like our bodies like i mean this world was started on bacteria like uh bacteria outnumbers our dna 10 to 1 like your gut is almost as important as your brain, but people totally forget about it. Yeah. Um, and yep. that's why you have, yeah, like all these problems. But um, yeah, then the sourdough, it's like it's as local as it can get. It's like the bacteria around you and like you need that inside of you. Yeah. So That's awesome. Um, yeah, you've updated your Facebook page with all the events so people can just click into the event section and sign up and you have links to buy tickets for yeah. each workshop. Yeah. Um, it helps a lot to buy them just yeah of course like. so you can prepare um let's see so we've got kimchi sauerkraut what's your do you have a favorite fermentation process um like out of like out sauerkraut of, or yeah um i mean yeah i could talk about like bread would be like the one but yeah. after out of like vegetable ones um yeah i like sauerkraut just kind of nice it's just kind of meditative it's really easy um, I really want to start, it's like a, a Japanese ferment called Nukazuke, which becomes like a little bit, well, it's like normal for like Japanese and they're sort of used to it, but like hard for someone like me. I'm like, oh, I'm not used to it. So okay. I need to explore it. But it's basically fermenting vegetables in like a rice bran bed. Oh, wow. That you sort of like inoculate with bacteria. It, yeah, it could, <laughs> it sounds like a little bit hard and it's just another like, thing that you have to upkeep and become yep. comfortable with but that would definitely be a ferment that i like vegetable wise yep. would obsess over if i also had enough time to not that you can kill that i've killed many times oh. <laughs> i mean i think that's kind of uh fermenting is kind of bringing back the playfulness and like curiosity and discovering things in the kitchen again like not just bunging a bunch of things in the bowl and throwing that in the oven but like actually yeah it is a time investment but it's kind of like bringing back those old skills that we we used to have yeah. in the world you posted a really uh interesting picture of some stinky and slimy <laughs> stuff um is this what you were just talking about uh natto? no not no, no, no. okay uh, so that's something different natto is just a, like a fermented soybean um yeah japanese have loads of like their ferments sort of like go on because you have like misos and yeah. then you have natto and then yeah. you have different zukes like nukazuke is like a rice bran bread ferment and then you have miso zuke which is fermenting vegetables and misos um yeah it just keeps going but natto is definitely like another one that um my the third apartment i lived in in berlin i had a japanese roommate and she 
uh, I've never had natto before. And then she introduced me to natto. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. She's like, really? Because a lot of people are turned off by it because it's stinky and slimy and gooey. And I'm like, I that's like my life right Those now. Those are the so magic I was like, words. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And that what does it taste like? Um, does it have any compar- comparable taste? Not really. Not really. It's like the tech. I mean, the texture is super slimy. Yeah. And then you're just like eating soybeans. Um, but it's, uh, I forget what the article says. The article says it tastes like two things, but okay. I it's, thought it had its own like kind of. Okay. Unique. Yeah. Flavor. flavor. To it. It's uh it's an article from the well wellness blog, I guess, of the New York times. Um, I was going to say fermentation is a way of adding nutrients to food, which people might not understand. So like with sauerkraut, when you ferment it, uh, there's more nutrients in it by the end of the process. Yeah. Um, and what uh, are there any like misunderstandings or misconceptions about fermentation that you would want people to know to know about? Um, I guess with the mm, some uh, someone recently told me that they were talking to this like. German, like old German guy who said that you have to cook sauerkraut. Oh. That there's something about like eating it raw and like all the bacteria that's actually bad for you. Wow. Um, so like that's just like a funny thing to hear. Okay. But I guess a lot of people get put off by, I don't know if there's a specific thing, but it's just like put off by different smells or mold. Like I've become so comfortable with mold. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't know if there's, like, a specific thing because it's all its, like, own th- yeah. thing that I'd, like, want yeah. to, like, show and, like, talk about. Like, oh, like, I guess just really showing people it's, like, this is fine or, like, this is good and, like, this isn't bad. And yeah. um, just getting people comfortable with yeah. all the different processes, yeah. not, like, a specific, like, oh, like, people have heard this or yeah. um, maybe with bread, like, celiac disease mm-hmm. could be a thing. Um like, a lot of people who are self-diagnosed celiacs, who just, like, it makes sense because, like, if you're eating bread today and you're eating bread that's super processed and it has stuff in it, like, bread should be no more than flour, salt, water, and yeast. Yep. Um, and if you have, and if your bread is lasting more than, like, a day or two, un- unlike sourdough, like, if you're making a different type of bread, it should only really last a day or two. Like, bread shouldn't yeah. go on for so long. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, to just be like, oh, like if you are like claim celiacs, like we'll try sourdough, try something that's actually like made well and prepared well and fermented well. And a lot of people be like, oh, I ate it and I was fine. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, so just sort of like, or like people will have sauerkraut and they've had sauerkraut that's been made with vinegar that's been pasteurized. It's not actually sauerkraut. And then giving like that to someone and be like, look, like you could make sauerkraut something super beautiful. Like you could actually do different things in like cabbage and carrots and onions, which everyone like sort of like has an idea of what it is and they pin it down to that thing and they don't want to break it. They're like, oh, I tried it. It was gross. And like, (laughs) I'm I'm not doing it. Yeah. It's like, but it could be so different. It could be so great. And then. So what what are some of the other versions of sauerkraut that you've made? Um, Well, at Hex, I was like, Hex Ferments, I was introduced to like, so many different ones of like, oh, you could put seaweeds and you could put different fruits in it and like ginger or one that um, I can't stop making is called a sea kraut and it has um, white cabbage in it, some 
hijiki seaweed and arame seaweed, some ginger, some burdock root. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, that was one. Another one was just like just using radishes. Like you could, you don't have to use cabbage. Cabbage is just a really, I mean, it's like a traditional Kind of base. like the templates yeah. for sauerkraut. Yeah. Um, awesome. And yeah, anything else you would like to add about fermentation? Um, After these, maybe we can talk about where the workshops are taking place. So um, we have... So Isla Coffee, uh, the first workshop is Cultured Butter. Can we talk a bit about Cultured Butter? And, yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not too familiar with it, so maybe you can tell me what it is. <laughs> so Cultured Butter is basically like zauram butter okay um it's uh a sour butter but it started from a uh, cultured dairy or cultured cream so creme fraiche or sour cream and also creme like creme fraiche and sour cream there's really no difference creme fraiche is just like less sour than sour cream okay so it's just sort of um doing that and then making it into butter uh so that's all it is and then it's just like it um I guess, well, cultures do it because it'll last like a little longer. Yep. And in the workshop, I talk about um, that and then also talking about how different cultures actually like really use like sour butters because it was a means for preserving butter and preserving yep. cream. Yeah. Um, so it's just like it'll preserve your butter for like a little longer. But there are even experiments where, like, if you take, like, a sweet cream butter and a sweet cream butter is just basically taking cream and making it into uh, butter. So that's the only difference between, okay. like, sour butter and sweet butter is okay. sour butter starts with a cultured um, cultured cream, which will be, like, creme fresh sour cream. Um, and, yeah, just, like, there's bacteria in it. There's sweet stuff. Uh it's gonna like things things always break down and eventually ferment because everything's kind of like covered in bacteria yeah so it's just a way to like keep butter going for longer i guess <laughs> awesome so that's on august 15th and the workshops run until you have workshops going into september yeah, yeah. and then I, I sort of post the workshops monthly okay so they come out in like a whole streak so people can sort of like see great how they go yeah but the lager lager one sort of ended up falling like right on september 1st okay Awesome. Uh, so that's Levin Berlin, which is L-E-V-A-I-N. And I've been speaking with Kathy Kajmajic. <laughs> Kajmajic. Uh, Kajmajic. Yeah, it could be just like Kajmajic. Kajmajic. Yeah. <laughs> um, we met uh, recently on a foraging course mm -hmm. with uh, the amazing um, Jonathan uh, from Grunewald Foraging. Have you foraged anything interesting since? Um, no, no, I haven't either. <laughs> I haven't, like, had time. I yeah. feel like, like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. Um, but not really. I've been wanting to go get some currants because I've been expect, uh, experimenting with, uh, fermented jams. Ooh. Because it's like, I don't, wow. I'm not into preserves. It's always yeah. fun. It's like, so you're either into, like, preserves or you're into ferments. And, um. Is it, like, op opposite teams? Like, opposing sides, kind of? I get, it's like, I mean, a lot less here, but in, like, the states where it's becoming, like, a really big thing, you yeah. really see it. There's, like, the, yeah, it's like. That's funny. Like, I'm gonna, like, boil my jars, and it's like, I don't need to boil my jars. <laughs> 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 Plus all of the sugar, uh, especially when it comes to fruit in, in preserving. Yeah, and there's like 
no one has ever gotten sick from ferments. Yeah. Like, even if things right. get super moldy, and sometimes things are supposed to get moldy, like if you're eating, like, fermented meats and stuff, like, it starts being covered in mold. I mean, cheese, if you see the process of a cheese becoming, it's, like, mass, like, forests <laughs> of mold. Um, and, yeah, like, no one has ever died from a ferment and gotten sick and then like preserves it happens all the time it's like if something seeps in there yeah yeah. it's like actually not better for you so you heard it here (laughs) fermentation is the only way forward the only way we're going to survive in this cruel world um thank you so much kathy it was a fascinating chat about (laughs) fermentation and everyone listening can um check out kathy's upcoming courses on her facebook page (laughs) Uh, Lava Berlin. Um, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yay. <laughs>